Hello. Sweet girl. Are you connected? Are you? are you on mute? Probably. No, I was not. Hold on. Maybe I have you muted. You're not on mute. I can't hear you. Let's well, let's see about this. What's going on? Okay. Would you like me to log out and, and rejoin? Let me check my mic settings. Oh, wait, I think. Try talking now. Oops. Okay. Can you hear me? What is going on? How annoying, huh? Hold on. Well. Well, let's see. Okay. Mute audio. No, we don't want audio muted. Ask all. Check, 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 check. How annoying. This is Do you want me to log out and log back in? You want to call back in? Okay. We're going to end and try over. Hello? Hi, Kathy. Hi, Wes. Hey, I'm Keith um, for like a minute. Okay. Just wanted, I, I, my understanding is uh, students going to be back for 10 and wanting to look at potential placement options. Um, I told Lily I'd reach out to you. Catholic family, you know, it made the request. Are there MPS options out there? Um, I don't know if you've given any thought. Lily was thinking Sunrise at Health Group is really the only program we can think of. I mean, she said, like, passageway, I just, it's not a good program for kids, I don't think. But do you have any immediate thoughts? No. Um, can I call you in an hour? Uh, and actually, no. I've got to stop into a, I'm going into a memorial service at 10. Oh, sorry. I'm 10, uh, yeah, my brother-in-law's mom. Um, 10 to about 1, and then I'll be back on the road. Okay, so call. can you call me then? Because I am I can't think right now. I'm in the middle of trying to do something. Sure, sure. So just think of options. We're open. Yeah, I, I mean, she's still, Wes, um, trying to get into that house in a Tuscadero, too, just so you okay. know. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just like backup plan, plan B. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. How about now? You know what? Here, hold on. This is the only thing that's different yet. Now talk. Hello. Okay, it has something to do with my microphone. Darn it. Yeah, but that's okay. I'm learning. I'm learning. Right. Do it. So we know this is okay. It'll. It's okay. It'll still microphone us. Um, and I appreciate you doing this. This is the first. You're the first person that I'm actually talking to. I've been trying to figure out how to put a podcast together to reach parents on a bunch of different levels. 
And I've been waiting for my work to die down so I could start. And then I realized my work is never going to die down. So you just got to start. So I figured, okay, so I'll, I'll talk to you because you and I know each other. So we can just talk and then uh, it'll give me some practice in what I'm doing. And then if I can snip it later, I'll snip it and do something with it. How's that? Sounds fantastic. You know, I'll be happy to talk about anything I know. Understand that I'm not an official spokesperson, but um, I'll I'll be happy to share. Yeah, I want to know about your personal experience. Really, I come at this more from an emotional situation. Like, you know, when you're working with kids and families with kids, it really isn't a black and white situation, no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, right? What, right. No matter what. So that's the circumstances is going to be different. There isn't a, a blanket. Yeah. And what I want to know from you is how did you get into teaching and what grades did you teach? And tell me a little bit about that. All right. Um, well, my parents both had been backup you know, backup teachers. My mom was a teacher all my life. My dad was a teacher before he went into the diplomatic corps. And then once he retired, he went back and taught at the junior college level. So they had both encouraged me to go and do this, which of course, because they suggested it being me, it was like, no, nah, no. Plus I really, um, I was an only child, so I wasn't around a lot of children. I did not really relish the idea of dealing with children on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, you go through changes in life, things happen. I had a child of my own and um, I needed to go back to work. And what I was doing before really wasn't the direction I wanted to go. I was working in radio. So I just went back to school. It was like, okay, I didn't have anything, a better plan. Teaching sounded like a good idea and something that maybe with a new mindset and a new set of interests, um, you know, would be a good idea. And as it turns out, it was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my jam. I can use some of the things that I used to use uh, as far as engagement, communication, those sorts of things, use some of those skills and apply them here. And so this is going to be my 18th year. And let's see, I have taught seventh and eighth grade ELD, which is the English learners. And I have taught fourth grade and second grade, which is my jam. Second grade is the bulk of my experience and it is definitely my heart. So you prefer to teach the younger kids. I do, I do. It it lets me let out that, the immature part of me, the silliness, the um, also the enthusiasm, it is contagious. And they come, they want you to love them. They want to love you. <laughs> it feeds your spirit. You know what I mean? Even with the most challenging of students, they want. Yeah, it's they before how they get all jaded, right? Yes, yes. And even by fourth grade level, at least where I teach, Um, the world has started to encroach on that mystery, wonder, enthusiasm. And it was, it was tough, even though it's only two years. Where do you teach? In Stockton, California, I teach far on the South side. Um, and our school is actually designated a CSI school. And I wish I knew what the acronym truly stood for, but it is one of the neediest of the neediest in our district. So both, um, for social economic purposes, for, for a parent education, for all of those measurements of need, uh, literacy, language development, all of those reasons we are, and yeah, test scores, what, which follow what does, from all of those things. What does the district do to support that? I'm going to give you the blunt, frank, from the gut answer, and then I'll try to back off of it with some, uh, you know, trying to mitigate. What they do is they throw a lot of PDs at us. They throw a lot of at the at the teacher. Okay, if we're not succeeding, it's because you are not doing a good enough job. You're kidding me. That's what it feels like. Okay. I've 
you know, I, that's why I say it's my from the gut. Um, but when you see it, my opinion, when, but when you have a school that's identified with all of these challenges, right? You, you didn't identify it. It's identified by the state. Correct. And you would think that a district would look at that particular campus and say, Hey, Maybe we need more reading intervention. Maybe we need a reading intervention person there more. Maybe the teachers need a little bilingual help. I mean, you would think that you would think about putting resources there, not telling a teacher, hey, you're not doing a good enough job in this broken down system. Don't let me give the impression that they have not thrown resources at us. The piece that I feel my opinion, what I feel is missing is that the teachers who are actually in the trenches have not been part of the conversation in deciding what resources would be helpful. It's been sort of done piecemeal by each different department. Again, in my opinion, which is not always knowledgeable, there are things that I don't know. I'll right. openly own that. But it feels as if it has been done in a piecemeal fashion with each department putting in the things that they feel will most benefit, but without us being a part of the conversation. And um, I think, I feel that we have something to share since we are the closest to the students and to the families. Honestly, I think that we may have some insight as to where, like where we can really share exactly things up. Are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For example, we put a lot of resources into, well, Okay, and rightly so. We have a full-time parent liaison who is bilingual at our school, which is very necessary because our population is something around 60% um, Spanish-speaking primarily, which, great, we need that. And that person has been very, very helpful with conducting the meetings and reaching out to parents and establishing relationships and bringing them onto the school campus to have positive experiences and positive reasons to come because, frankly, many of our parents haven't had positive experiences with school going back to when they even were students. So that's a big obstacle that we face. That has been effective. However, Equally much of her time has been doing things such as uh, a, a consistent nutrition class, which that's not to say nutrition isn't helpful and isn't an important component, but to be done on a monthly basis, I think there are other things that could take priority, such as homework help, such as how to help your students uh, with early reading and reading foundations. What does, what does it look like? What can you do at whatever stage you are as a parent? What can you do to be helpful? I would like to see more of those sorts of things. And I'm not saying that it is on our liaison to decide what's necessary, but I feel that a conversation would be helpful there. So maybe if there was more like um, curriculum for that for that position. That would be lovely. Yeah. So that you all could discuss a hierarchy of needs, because this is a person then when you say does nutrition classes, all that they do with parents, right? Because yes. they're the, they're, yes. they do parent education. Yes. And do they also, I would imagine, attend IEPs for bilingual parents and translate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we are very fortunate in that our parent liaison, if I remember correctly, I think that she has been a teacher in the past. So uh, that is helpful that she does understand our language. I am bilingual, but not as fluent in everyday Spanish as I could be or should be. So I'm very grateful for her support. But what I do pick up with my own ears is that some things are lost in translation, whether there isn't a direct, uh, whether there isn't a direct component that applies or whether it's that we need to speak to the parents in a language that they understand. I'm not really sure about it, but there have been times where I've had to go back in and clarify. So you have to sort of repair the conversation 
when you realize that the information hasn't been shared in yes in its most authentic form i guess is what that's how i feel and because i'm one of the i'm one of those like word nerds um there are shades of meaning that can become lost sometimes you are trying to um depending on who the audience is and who the parent is sometimes you're having to have those uncomfortable conversations. And so you must find a way to convey your information in a way that is not offensive, for example. I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form the liaison conveys it offensively, but it's that we are dancing around, we are dancing around and trying to near a point. What what kind of conversation at your school might happen with a parent that would be an uncomfortable conversation? Um let's say social issues, let's say issues of uh, being socialized at school, particularly with young ones. Issues like keeping one's hands to oneself on the playground, for example, let's just pull one out of the air. Um, Our parents come from a place of, many of them directly instruct their students, if someone puts a hand on you, you hit them back harder. That's their experience. That's how they grew up. That's how they have to survive in their neighborhood. But there is a distinction between school and neighborhood. You know, when you come here, this is a safe place. We do have, you know, a lot of the most challenging elements of society. We have the poverty. We have the gangs. We have those sorts of things happening in our neighborhood community for our school. That being said, the way that you need to behave outside on the street is your business. But when you come here, it's our business for the collective. And sometimes um, it's very difficult to break into the mindset that the parents already have. And you need the parents to be on board with you so that the, the student understands what the expectation is at school as opposed to what the expectation might be somewhere else. Correct. And even to the point of the social emotional learning, learning how to correctly read cues. Um, Pragmatic, social language. Yes, absolutely. Um, We have a great need and, you know, they have thrown, okay, they threw a new curriculum on us, new curriculum for social emotional learning, which is fantastic. That's been where I live since before we had a curriculum. That's just where my gut takes me. There are, there are, particularly with our youngest, um, they don't always read cues correctly. They read them in the context that they have learned them at home with their families, in their neighborhood, et cetera. Not always um, in society at large. That's not always the correct way to read a thing, a thing. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with an example off the top of my head, but I'm, let's just stick to the playground examples. You know, um, somebody's looking at you in a way that you don't like. That doesn't mean you go and sock them in the neck. You know, you like somebody and they're your best friend. You don't come along and grab them around the throat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really teaching personal space. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is there, I would imagine since there's a lot of poverty, there is a lot of nutritional needs. I mean, when the pandemic and the schools shut down, that was your school able to continue to feed people? Absolutely. Yes, our district did make that a priority because we realized that that is so uh, kudos for that. Yes, we did. What we uh, wound up doing during the initial portion was we were still distributing lunches on a drive through drive through pickup schedule. Then it went to a few days a week because the every day was becoming impractical because not every school was a what do you want to say? A distribution? Yes. Um, it had to be the schools that had the the capacity to be able to handle having the food and being able to have the parking lot space for, because for example, our school is 100% free and uh, reduced price lunches. We give everyone free lunch. Everyone has that opportunity 100% because we are that we are that high. It doesn't mean that 100% of our students couldn't, but it means that the number is so astronomically high 
100% of students are eligible to walk in. There are no cafeteria cards. There is no, all we have to do is, um, not we, the teachers, but all we as a school have to do is ensure that they are nutritionally balanced, that they have all that they have because there are certain things they get to select. We have to be sure that they have selected from all of the appropriate food groups for us to get credit for that from the powers that be the state, I suppose. So it's not like when we were kids and the lunch was already boxed up and you went in the line and you got what it was and that was it? It became that during the pandemic, yes. But on on a day-to-day, no, not necessarily. There are maybe a couple of hot food choices. There is something like a salad bar. Uh, There are fresh fruit to pick up. Um, There's usually some sort of a, uh, you know, a sweet item, something like that. So yeah, they have limited choices, let's say. They have limited choices, but we have to make sure that they do choose something from each of the categories, let's say, if it's not a food group, at least from the categories. So make sure they have everything on their plate. That's like lunch. Does your school also provide breakfast or after school snack stuff? Do you know about that? Yes. Yes, we do provide breakfast before school. After school, only if they are in the after school program, they can get snacks as a part of that. But um, breakfast, it's interesting because not 100% do take advantage of that. And yes, they do when they are, when students are initially allowed on campus, um, they do immediately go to the cafeteria. So they have that opportunity, but not everybody goes in and actually gets the breakfast. Right. Some eat at home. Some I don't think eat. It, it's well, let's just say some don't choose to eat. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that nutrition is such a key part to learning. And when you're dealing with those real poverty intense areas, there's already sort of a um, feeling about food deprivation and things that you kind of have to get kids to relax over and know that there's food and that they can eat so they can relax and pay attention to what's going on. Oh, absolutely. We have students all the way up to, we serve uh Transitional kindergarten, which would be considered almost preschool, but it's on their way to kindergarten. We serve transitional kindergarten up to eighth grade, and you would be astounded at um, the amount of crap food that students bring as a treat that they have been provided from home. You know, Takis, for example, are not a meal. You know, Takis are these little Mexican hot, they're like hot Cheetos. They're like the okay. super extra, super hot with, you know, their, their hand is stained red for the rest of the day kind of food. This is a treat that their parents can afford to provide for them. So many of our students come in and that is their meal. That is what they choose to eat. We're trying to encourage more healthy choices. Another thing that just breaks my heart, for example, you know, um, we usually have During the course of the year, for certain holidays, we'll have like a little, okay, like an exchange. Anybody who would like to, I'm going to provide food. If you would like to bring something, please bring something to share with everybody. And, you know, something like 90% do, and most of it is crap. But the only stipulation for that, since it's maybe three or four times a year, um, is that it has to be food that comes in a package. It can't be homemade uh, for health reasons. So, okay, We do this, and what is my point? We go around, they distribute the food, and they have mountains of chips and cookies, and but four times a year, okay, I'm not gonna complain about that. You're bringing something, you're proud of it, you're excited to do that, I don't care. That's more important, the community aspect. That being said, it's amazing how many kids choose um, to bring home, to share with their siblings what it is that they've had. It's amazing to me that they aren't just sitting there just like gobbling it all into their mouth to the point of, you know, we've got huge trash bags to throw away the waste, but it's a little heartbreaking. Some days it's a lot heartbreaking when you know some of the kids' stories, which having been at the same site for all of my years, I am on sometimes the second, sometimes the third generation of the same family. Well, and you know, that is really my, my, the nexus of what I really want to talk about is the emotional aspect 
that you have in dealing with these kids and their families, and then how you separate that, because these are human beings, right? And you're a human being. And when you care about somebody, and like you say, you know, two or three generations of their family, you know what these families have been through. How do you separate that and go home and do the things that bring you joy? What do you do to feed your soul? Like what happens around all that? I will say that more often than not, we can find an acceptable balance. But there are those times, there are those students, and each teacher that I know can tick them off from their first time coming across them that keep you up at night. They keep you up at night. They have you thinking about them 24-7. You know, if I could get through the parent, if I could change the circumstances, if I could just get them some help, I'll give you an example, concrete. Uh, three years ago, let's say, I had a lovely young man, very deficit in skills, who had had some severe attendance problems. And living with his mom, uh, each of the siblings had a different dad. And this young man, and um, I'll just call a first name, let's say his name was Oscar. Oscar um, was the sweetest, the kindest, the most supportive to his classmates. He just, lovely child, lovely child, but severe deficit in his academics because he had serious attendance problems, missing like 50% or more of the school year. So, you know, the parents that we have are pretty savvy. They may not be book smart, but they're pretty savvy. The mom knew exactly how far she could go before things started to, you know, before her benefits were were affected, before the district, you know, truancy becomes involved, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be, okay, 10 days absent, one day check in, then off again, 10 days absent almost, and one or two or three days. And the truth of the matter is, pardon me? How old was this kid? They're second graders. So he was seven and eight. Seven in the beginning, eight at the end. He had a younger sibling that lived with him and he had some other siblings, but they lived with the grandmother. So it's only these two that were living with mom. We get to Thanksgiving time. We tried to schedule meetings. We had conferences and such. She came informally because I actually throttled her after school and said, do you have just like five minutes so that we can come and talk? And there was no way for her to back out of it. So we all came to the classroom and very quickly, I want to honor her time. And she explained that there were some social issues that were going on. She was about to uh, face incarceration. And she's doing the best that she could. That's entropic information. Great. Thank you for explaining that to me. I, you know, I can, I can work with that, do the best that I can. And we'll see what, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll work with him, take him aside, especially not that you wouldn't anyway, but to explain to her that this is a give and take. And thank you for trusting me with the information. No judgment. And um, we get to the week before Thanksgiving. All of a sudden, it was the more than 10 days and Oscar has not been at school. So all of the usual outreach, talk to the counselors, counselor gets the attendance folks involved, the SARB people, and uh, come to find out, mother did get incarcerated. The other children are with grandma. Grandma's hands are full. She cannot take the two youngest. So she wants to put them into care. At Thanksgiving, they were going to be not only without mom, but without their other siblings and not even being able to see grandma, they were going to be, she was going to give them up basically. Him and his, at that time, kindergarten sibling. We scrambled, we did everything we could. Um, the kindergarten teacher and I, I was not gonna, I was not gonna go so far as my kindergarten associate was, but I wanted to get, you know, care packages together, get him, was it Thanksgiving? It may have been Christmas, but anyway, it was one of the big holidays. He was willing to say, bring them to my house, bring them to me, I will be their temporary care 
let's just do this. And I was all about, you know, anything that we can do that we can, I will go visit. I will do anything that I can, but I can't invite him into my house. I'm not ready to do that. So it turns out that when push came to shove, after we came back from the holiday break, I didn't hear anything because school was not in. And these were all outside things that were happening. There was a lot of, and so it was a pretty crappy holiday. And when we returned, grandma relented. She had the two young ones with her. They were with their older siblings. They were coming to school dressed, on time, ready, homework to the best of their ability done. I'm not a big homework fan. So I'm like, oh, okay, you turned it in. Great. Check mark sticker. You turned it in. That's all it really is. Um, and things were lovely. By the end of the year, though, mom was back out again, and we were right back to the same situation. The kids went back to mom. She held it together for about a week. And then the whole cycle starts again. You know, it's devastating because here's this beautiful, enchanted child that just has every you know, he has all the love in the world, all the enthusiasm, the wonderful attitude, the beautiful manners. I mean, he's got all these pieces. He is so ready to go forward into the world, but he needs help. He needs more than what we can give him in the space of six hours a day. And I cannot affect that change alone. It needs that partnership. But yet there were bigger obstacles going on that we and so you have to let it go. And that, that eats at you. And then I had his younger brother this year. Same thing. They dropped out. They moved. They came back. No school this year. So these kids are not only facing poverty and all of the strikes against them. And, you know, there's a distinct possibility that the mother has some undiagnosed issues because that's generally what we see. Um, but they're not even being given the opportunity to learn, right? Because that's how you get yourself out of this place, right? There, yes. Now, very few, this is an extreme, but that's yeah. why it was the, but, but there's very few ways to get yourself out of poverty, out of having all these strikes against you, but education is one of them, yes. right? Yes. And so these kids then, because of their situation, are being denied that as well. Yes. And they're they're people you care about. I mean, yes. you're, and there's and nothing the you that can actually do. do want to. They want it, but there <laughs> are situations outside of their control that are barriers within the their own families. I had a lovely young man. This year, that uh, the, the year that we were completely on Corona, parents separated. He's living with mom. Mom has multiple kids with multiple dads, and that's not judgment. It's just information. He is the only one with this dad, and he is the only boy. I believe he is also, no, he's not the youngest. There is a younger one that is before school age. Um, then there's dad. At the course of the beginning of the year, now I had one of his older sisters before, and I do remember that she was always late for school, but she came. She had a few attendance issues, but nothing major, right? Well, Corona's Corona, distance learning was distance learning. I was missing this young man more often than I was seeing him. And I remembered him from first grade from being out on the playground. He often was one who would choose to go and stand on the wall is what we call it just because he just didn't seem to want to socialize. And one thing was very poignant that he shared with me. It's like, well, why are you over here instead of playing with other friends? And he's, oh, I just want to, I just want to be over here. I just, I'm, you know, I'm sad. Why are you sad? Is there anything that I can help with? I just miss my dad. Well, I didn't put the two and two together. And by the way, this is the nephew of a teacher at our school. His, his mom is the sister of this teacher's wife. So there is a, he, and the teacher knows there is very little that you can do with this mom. She's all the right, she says all the right things, but the follow through is just not there. 
it's not a priority. If the kids get to school, it's because the oldest one who is still not in high school yet um, is getting them up and getting them ready. And if they don't want to, she's got no clout. Right. You know what I mean? So, all right. So this young man, uh, in the course of contacting everybody at the beginning of the year, I contact dad and he's like, well, the child doesn't, the child doesn't stay with me. I'm trying to argue my way through that. I'm trying to take my recourses, et cetera. But um, it's really, we don't have a legal agreement. And so it is really kind of at her whim. But right now I would love to, and I started seeing a difference between when he was at dad's and when he was at mom's. Dad has remarried, lives actually out of town in Manteca. And when he was at dad's, he had a stable place to work at a desk or a table. He had someone going over his work with him. Dad would contact me. We have an app called Class Dojo where it's a communication app back and forth. Dad would ask questions if he had questions about assignments. And I encouraged that and thanked him for that. And Whenever he was with dad those days, he was there, he was ready, he was fed, he was boom, ready to go, ready to be a student, and he was happy. We started seeing success. He was showing, I'm not going to say that he was showing growth, but he was showing enthusiasm to show what he was capable of all along uh, when he was with dad because he was encouraged in that direction. No judgment on mom, and I would still communicate with both of them. Just It was ditto. If I sent to one, I sent to the other, the same communication. But there were a few times in the course of the year um, where we had to contact mom. So when attendance got to be a problem, she sent him to stay with dad until she got mad. When she'd get mad, she would bring the child home, withhold, and then we wouldn't see him. Do you know what I mean? It got to be this thing where it's the adults in the room that I just want to take and shake. You can't. You still have to be respectful. You still have, but in a kind, but, you know direct way. Is there anything that I can do to help increase so-and-so's attendance? Is there anything that you need? It was the same going on with the other children that were staying with mom. You know, it was a direct and a direct effect of which parent he was staying with and what their priorities were. It just there. It's not that she doesn't know it's for whatever reason, this was not for whatever reason she could not follow through on getting her kids needs met my opinion yes that is what i came to to know and understand she was very respectful she was lovely in our online communication but the follow-through simply wasn't there and so he had a pretty successful year this year because he spent a good portion of it with dad and i was very appreciative of of that but it the grade that you're around. teaching chris that's that's where you learn your foundational skills you're still in the learning to read not reading reading to learn phase and if you don't have your foundational skills for reading and you don't have your vocabulary for comprehension and you can't put all the pieces together what happens when you get in fourth grade where the independence and the reading to learn, not learning to read comes in. I mean, it, it's it, it's a snowball effect. This kid's behind the eight ball already. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's you know, uh, it's not a straight line. It like goes like this, the levels of difficulty. It's insane. And, um, and My so opinion. How, how do you go about your life? Like, how, how do you put those things aside for those really tough kids? I mean, you you have a lot of challenging kids, kids with challenges in your school to begin with. So I know that your heart cares about all of them, but then you have these particulars that that really are headed for a recipe for disaster. How do you Set that aside. What do you do for yourself? The best thing that I can do is to, uh, on the on the really, you know, when everything's going great, I do everything I can. I reach out to every single resource that I can. We bring in everything that we can that is within our control to bring in at school. And I have to let it go. 
I have to be able to say, I have reached the end of every resource that I can. And we've got lovely counselors at our school. We do have, um, what is it? It's um, sort of like Valley Mountain Regional Center. What is it? Um, but we have counts, we have outside counselors for, for um, mental health. Yeah, it, that's more of an intense service than like a school-based yes. counseling, right? Yes, and they qualify through, I believe it's through their Medi-Cal, I believe. Yes. And so they're Medi-Cal funded, but they come to the school and the student is pulled out for that particular counseling. We also have um, Valley Mountain Regional was coming in to do, but I didn't have direct contact with them. So I'm not really sure exactly what they did, but we... I'm going to stick to the what I do know. We do reach out into the community and get as much outside coming in help as we can. We have people coming in to do reading tutoring during the day where kids are pulled out. So we have the kids that are the bubble kids that are on the verge of being proficient that we pull out with one program. We have students that need the very, very basic intervention. We do have a reading intervention specialist, but her caseload is so tremendously huge. Huge. Uh, they really have to be at the bottom of the bottom to receive, uh, you know, to really get anything. And it's only as effective as your specialist. We have a lovely specialist this year, but not every specialist that we've had has been effective. Right. In being and not to- every program that you use is effective, right? So the curriculum and the program is also important and having a person who can understand how these pieces of this might work for this group, but not so much for that group. Yes. And we cannot discount how many times um, the academic and the social are tied together. Of course. So addressing one without addressing the other, whichever, is not going to be affecting change, Yeah, in my opinion. Sometimes just because of the amount of caseload that we have, Students who need the social as well as the academic aren't getting it. Maybe there are students who are getting the academic, but they're not getting the social. We have holes. We need, yeah, we need more. And it isn't just in the classroom, social, emotional learning. They need intensive counseling. We have huge barriers that need to be addressed. Do a lot of the kids in your school have IEPs? What is a, what would be a high percentage? Cause usually I have now there's a differentiation between a speech only IEP, for example. Okay. And, uh, right. So forget the speech only that are more articulation based, right? Because yes. that's a different sitch. Yes. But aside from that, you're, you teach general ed. Yes. And in your general ed class, how many kids do you, gen, you have? Uh, it's been where our numbers have been coming back down again. We are at 24 now. And of those 20 is 32 at one point. And of those between 24 and 32 kids are like, how many would have an IEP for other than speech? It could be between one and as many as three, but three is an extremely unusual year. Um, one, you can count on, there may be two. So I would say 1.5 would be per class. And does your school also have special ed classes? Yes, we do, but they're, they're full. So are they, um, like specialized programs where a kid who would be in that program would pretty much stay there all day or do they move in and out? We have been trying to go to the model where students who, um, I'm not going to say qualify, but students who seem to be promising candidates to try to mainstream uh, have had the chance to do that. And in fact, I've hosted a couple, usually it's in math because our curriculum and reading is just a horror show. It's a horror show. Um, but we want them to experience some success, particularly if I'm getting them at the beginning of the year because we're doing basic computation um, where many of them can experience success because that's huge to me. If they are going to come into the classroom and they're going to walk in on something that's a cluster anyway, it's like, no, I don't want them walking into that. I want them to come when we're doing something 
that is more concrete, something where they are going to experience success, something where I can, if if necessary, differentiate. This isn't one of those, well, we've got to do it because it's in the book and they're going to test it, as opposed to something that's an essential skill that maybe they have a foundation for. So the timing in the course of the year, but I have been blessed to um, have hosted a handful uh, over the years, but we have not done it as much as I think we had wanted to. Yeah, it's a div- it's difficult to get, um, truth be told, general ed teachers on board to do inclusion well, without there, proper support. There is, that's a huge thing because many of our SPED kids that are qualified in the, you know, SDC class uh, have issues other than academics. And we don't have the aids that they may need to come with them to be well, successful. And that's the whole key. If you're going to do inclusion, inclusion is very expensive and it's very methodical. And in order for a SDC place kid to come into a general ed class and be successful and be part of the class and not just be sitting over in the corner in a general ed class, right? The general ed teacher needs all the tools to bring that inclusion time to life. And often, you know, that's having the work modified by a special ed teacher before the kid gets there. So they pull out their pack when, excuse me, when the general ed kids pull out their pack, those kinds of things and AIDS, it's, it's very difficult. And I understand from where I sit, how hard it is on general ed teachers, because a lot of people get really mad at general ed teachers, right? Well, let me throw in right now. I hope that you have the opportunity to talk to Lori Gobi because she's going to be a wealth of information. But what I do know, and I can't be specific because I don't have that type of knowledge, but our SPED department is consistently out of compliance. (laughs) And it's not just our school. I mean, our district. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to say that most districts would not admit it, but most districts are out of compliance. Multiple lawsuits, girl, multiple lawsuits. Yeah. And it's something that it's, it's known and particularly amongst the parents, which it's interesting that one of the teachers who is a coach at my school, her two sons are students in the district, both um, on the spectrum. Oh, she's been a wealth of information as far as um, she's educated herself and become a wonderful advocate. Let's put it the positive way. Yes. Not every parent. No, it's a hard thing. You know, a lot of parents get into advocacy because they've taught themselves in needing to learn it, to know what to do for their child, right? But it's a whole different language. It's like learning a foreign language. Precisely. And it's difficult. And it's really difficult for parents when they go to IEP meetings, and especially your population at your school. But there they sit at this table with all these school district employees, right? And they kind of feel like uncomfortable to begin with. And then the IEP teams talk, blah, 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 blah. And they use monikers, IEP, LRE. Yep. And, and it goes. parents don't, they, they feel embarrassed. Like these are things they should it's know. It's intimidating. So, right. So they don't say, hey, I don't understand. And the team doesn't realize that they're talking in a language that the parent doesn't understand because. Now it's add a layer they, of language. Correct. Add a layer of not and all of this, not even in English. Right. That and there. But I have a district here that I'm fighting against right now that um, just didn't provide interpreters to IEPs for parents. Just didn't do it. No translations of documents. And truth. I don't know, even if with a translator, if this parent would have understood the nuances, but at least they would have had the opportunity to hear something and go like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. I mean, the kid is in 11th grade reading at a first grade level somewhere. Somebody might've figured that out before I showed up. Right. Yes. And 
and they don't seem to care. The district doesn't seem to care that that I mean, they don't seem to care. I care about that. To me, that's heartbreaking. Yes. I want to go to California well, and infuriating, infuriating. And, and I want to go to California Department of Education because they're the ones in control of all the money. And they say, well, show me what happened in the last year. Well, they've had a lawyer for the last year. Why don't you care about the other five years? Why don't you care about how we got here? And that's what your kids, that's what you're looking at, right? I get them when they're in middle school and high school, and they're so far removed. But because in these foundational years, nobody paid attention to what needs to happen. We have been preaching that as teachers for the longest, particularly we in primary. It's like by the time they get, I hate to say it, but even third and fourth grade, if those needs have not been addressed, it Mm -hmm. is, let's just say that the odds are greater and greater and greater that they will never be met. Correct. Because the discrepancy between the expectation and what the need is becomes only larger every year. It's these first years that are critical, but our district had a standing policy for the longest. And I'm not going to say that they don't still have it implicitly, but it used to be overt that there needs to be a two-year discrepancy before they can qualify even to be tested for services. Well, that's illegal. Well, maybe that's why it is no longer directly spoken. Right. Still. But some of us have better luck than others. Some of us have had uh, better documentation. Some of us have been through this process more than once and have an idea of some of the things that really need to be documented and shown in the language to use to get better effect. But... So like if you, if you were to go to your special ed department and say, hey, I have a second grader here and, you know, he's not doing the la, la, I think we need to assess him. What would they say to you? We have to we have an entire process. We go. It starts with what's called a care team when you have concerns about a student's performance, whether it is social or academic or anything else. So we start with the care team. And that's just where the teacher goes in and talks to the other you know, the usual yeah. aspects. Uh, what can we try? Okay, so that's usually in-class interventions that we can try. We have to give a period of time to see if that works, and then we reconvene. If it hasn't worked, it is possible that it will go, and not always, but it's possible if they believe you actually did all that, then we would go to the SST, the student study team, which is where now we get more of the experts involved. And we see, okay, well, let's see if there are any other interventions that we can try. And then it is another about a six-week process from the time you start the SST till the time we reconvene, if the schedule isn't overloaded, which it usually is, approximately six weeks of trying any further interventions and any other strategies we can try before we even get to the point where we can even try seeing if they qualify for resource, seeing if they qualify for anything else having them tested by the psychologist or anything else. What generally tends to happen is at our school, there is a doctor that is known in our district that is a Medi-Cal doctor who just across the board, if there are troubles with your child, we are going to prescribe Ritalin or another ADHD and I will give them that diagnosis, which really isn't helpful for us. But he is known if this particular doctor with this particular surname, we all know his name. Oh, yeah. So it's well, the doctor said that so and so little Johnny or little Gina has uh, ADHD and we're sitting here. And, and they may doctor, have but no, they don't. Yeah. And they might have some executive function dysfunction. The executive function doesn't form until the age 25. But also when you get a kid on Ritalin and there are some kids who need that hundred percent. Sure. I tell people generally that's not the starting place. That's the ending place. But even if you do have a kid with ADHD, there are interventions 
and accommodations that can happen. You don't necessarily need to medicate. And when a teacher gets a kid on Red, Ritalin, you're not getting into that kid. Right. I mean, I mean, you're you're basically getting a little bit more of a zombie. I have. I will. I will share one experience that I had with one child that was known as a an absolute. She had the face of an angel, and she was a holy terror. We had had her since she was in not in the preschool, but in the transitional kindergarten, and her parents, fortunately were advocates and they advocate and they had to go through literally all the way through first grade challenges of trying to balance out and find the correct dosages, find out the medication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the time she got to me, she was taking meds before school and again at lunch. And you could literally see by the look in her eyes each day whether she got it or she didn't. We had the medication at school and mom was responsible for giving it to her before she came. She didn't always like to take it, but it was like dealing with two different children. And I'm not going to say that the child that was medicated was a zombie. No. It was open and available to learn. Well, and the child that but was that, not that kid wasn't on Ritalin, was she? I don't know what she, honestly, I don't know what her prescription was. I don't know. Because there are medications that do help ADHD. I mean, Adderall is one of them. Mm-hmm. I know? do not know. I don't have that. And, and it, it helps to let the brain engage. So you're not so distracted, but then that's a different situation. Yeah. There are some kids who really benefit. It's a, it's a sad thing because often I'll see kids who maybe it's their time to try, but the parents don't are not in agreement. Generally they're divorced and they're not in agreement. And one wants to try the medication and one doesn't want to try the medication. And again, it becomes about the struggle rather than the child, you know, but yeah. You know, there's not a lot really you can do in those situations because the parents are the parents, right? Yes, they are. And that's another thing is that if we can put all the information out there, we give them the best, we give them, I I will knock myself out to try to, um, to try to come at the parents in a way that they will be receptive to me. I cultivate relationships as hard as I can. Even the difficult ones, I'll, I'll back off. I'll be respectful. I will try to find every opportunity to lead with the good. Most of the time it works, but there are times where it just doesn't. It's just not, and you have to know in yourself and it takes years and years and years and it still doesn't always work, but to be able to say, I have done everything within my power to do. I can close my eyes at night knowing that I've done everything that I could. Yeah. Even though you couldn't help that kid, it wasn't for lack of trying. Yep. Right. Because you will reach out or I think I think many of us do. You reach out to your peers. You'll reach out to every single person that every single person at our school. You'll reach out to everybody that you can get all the information you can. You'll be spending hours researching online and seeing, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Is there anything else? You'll reach out to other teacher peers, other, you know, parents, even, you know, parents in your personal, your social, not parents in the school, you know, you'll reach out to everything in your network and you do the best that you can do. That's all. So when you feel like you've had like one of those days where you're very emotionally attached and not getting the positive outcome, right? Because it's one thing if you're emotionally attached, but what you want to happen, you've effectuated. But when it doesn't, yeah, what do you do for yourself? Like, what do what you do to get yourself back in your body, back into your own life? The best thing that has been effective for me has been some sort of mild, not strenuous exercise, like going for a walk, taking pictures that has helped me to get out of my head when that, you know, when the wheels are turning and the hamsters on going and focusing on some other small thing that brings me joy, something that takes my mind, literally takes my mind and my eyes off of that onto something else. So that has been the most effective thing. Sometimes it takes a bike ride. Sometimes it takes doing Shanti and Beachbody. You know, it, it, it depends. 
but it usually requires movement. Whatever it is, it requires some kind of physical movement on my part. I have to get up, get moving, do something actively to get engaged with the outside world to pick my head up. Yeah, to the switch, to make that switch in your body. Yes, because I spent many, many times in the earlier years where I would just come home, feel exhausted, defeated. I would lie down and watch TV and I'd wind up feeling worse. Right. So at least getting the endorphins going helps. Yeah, and trying to move it through your body rather than just let it overtake you. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's not to say that there aren't sometimes those those moments, but they're more and more rare, like the the situation with Oscar. I won't say that I didn't try all of that stuff and still at the end of the day, come home to a glass of wine. Yeah. But that's not the go-to. The go-to is the, okay, you know what? I'm going to come inside. I'm going to strap on my shoes and I need to go take a damn walk. (laughs) (laughs) Get some fresh air. Yes. I appreciate you spending some time talking to me about all this because I feel that it's important for parents and professionals to understand what teachers go through, right? Because we don't really ever talk on a personal level to teachers. And you are at that teaching level where you've been doing this for so many years and with the underprivileged kids and the young ones, right? This this is our set that that really, that's our future. And, you know, if you could do one thing, if there was one thing you could say like, okay, I'm going to give this to every parent, it's going to make a difference or every kid, what would it be? Put down your phone. Oh. Do kids? Put down your phone and talk to your child. (sighs) Truly. Uh, yeah, these days it's because I see not just the not just the kids, not just the teens, but I see the parents checked out, not engaging, simply not engaging. We are relying on technology to keep our kids busy, maybe entertained, maybe not. But I see a lot of parents giving their kids things as opposed to giving them you, Give giving them, them you. time. Yes. Give them you, you know? So even if a parent say the busiest parent with all these kids or whatever, even if they took 15 minutes an evening and sat with their kids for 15 minutes and read a story with no outside influences, the you know TV. What? I don't even care if you don't read a story, tell a story, tell a story. I Talk don't about care if you day. don't read. Right. Sing a song together. I don't care, but do something together. Personal contact. Yeah, it's interesting. This generation doesn't really understand about personal contact. I mean, that's how we grew up, right? Well, look at me. I'm guilty of it. My kid, great kid. Love him. He's an exceptional human being. Of course, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to say that because I'm his mom, but truly objectively, he is a pretty amazing little individual. That said, I always said that we were going to sit down and eat dinner together every night. Like I grew up. Do we do it? Um, maybe twice ever just go our own ways. I'm guilty of it too, but I do talk his ear off. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that that is a good piece of advice. So thank you. I appreciate this. I am going to reach out to Lori Gobi and see if she'll have a chat with me. I'm sure. Yep. So and she has so much more insight than I do as to the actual functioning here. No, I, that I understand, but I just really wanted your emotionality. I wanted to know like what you do and how it, you know, how it affects your life and, and how it made you more of who you are today. I guess that's my, my final question. What, what is teaching brought you? Compassion. I uh, used to think I knew it all. I used to think (laughs) everything was just the way that I say it needs to be. Everything would be awesome. It'd be great. And then I do still have a little element of that. It's an arrogance. I'll own it. But it has taught me compassion and taught me how many things I don't know. You know, it humbles you. 
And when you can have those experiences of success, it may not be the overwhelming 100% success, but the small steps, the little growth, the reaching that kid that day, the turning something around that has been having you pull your hair out. Um, those moments give me more joy than any pair of shoes and shoes bring me a lot of joy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I do. It, it's something that actually, it's something bigger than yourself that you're actually able to change. That's an amazing feeling. I, I agree with you. And I have that same thing about my work, like that, you know, for the first 10 years of my career, I did um, employment litigation wrongful term, sex harass, employment discrimination. And I always represented plaintiffs, the aggrieved employee. And what I realized is I could get them money, right? I could get anybody money, but I could never give them back what they really wanted, which was the life they built, right? They worked at Taco Bell for 30 years. They want to go to Taco Bell every day with their friends and do their job. I couldn't give them that. I could give them money to go buy a house, so in doing what I do now, I feel like I'm trying to help shape lives before the big collapse, right? To, to shape, to help a kid have a better future rather than trying to fix something that's blown up that you can never really put back together again. Yes. So I, I can relate to, to your saying that because it is stressful, you know, what, we do is stressful and it's emotional and it's hard to separate that emotion, work emotion from personal life. It, you know, emotion is inside your body. Yeah. But when you know that you've made a difference, even a tiny difference for one little kid who didn't ask to be born into all this chaos, then you go like, okay, it's a good day. You grab it. You hold it firmly, you stick it in your back pocket for those days where the perspective, you're so strongly focused on this one lack of success that you forget in the big, in the big long term, in the big picture, you've had a lot of successes. successes. They're not all Academy Awards. Mm -mm. You're not teacher of the year every day. But you've had a lot of successes and you're going to need to pull that moment back out and look at it to regain your perspective. Absolutely. Oh, my. Oh, and loud music on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> right. Some things never change. Yeah. Well, I love you and I appreciate this. And we may have to do it again. I would love to. I would Thank love you. to. Okay. Good luck <laughs> with this project. I Thank am you. looking forward to seeing where it goes for you. Okay. Have a lovely day in Malibu. <coughs> I'm choking. <laughs> Bye, Kathy. Bye-bye.